Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm your host, Eric Devin. We'll be airing live on YouTube every Thursday from 10 o'clock British Standard Time to recap the French sides in action in midweek European fixtures, as well as providing a look forward to the next weekend's matches. French teams were involved in three midweek matches, and the results haven't been exactly sparkling. Monaco traveled to Istanbul to face Fenerbahce in the Champions League third-round qualifiers and fell 2-1, abrasion Manuel Emenike bettering what had been the equalizer from Radamel Falcao. In the first of two matches today, an enterprising Lille came from behind at home to draw with Azerbaijani side Kabbalah, one all. Vitaly Vernyadub had opened the scoring on 13 minutes, and while Lille had had much of the ball, they failed to equalize until Ryan Mendez header just after halftime. Saint-Étienne, meanwhile, hosted AEK Athens at the Stade Jeff-Wichard, a chippy affair which ended in a scoreless draw. We'll start this week's show off with a closer look at Fenerbahce and Monaco. Monaco have finished for the second time running in third place and are hoping to improve upon last year's finish where they lost to Valencia, but things have not started so well, uh, having seen them go down 2-1 to the Turkish side in the first leg of their tie. So what we've seen, I think, is the biggest difference for Monaco this season is, is with the return of Valerie Germain and Radamel Falcao. Uh, Leonardo Jardim has opted for a 4-4-2, uh, which is a little bit different. Uh, it's a, a, a format that he hasn't previously used. He's usually opted to go with one striker. So, uh, Nathan, I'd like to start with you. Talk about that formation, its effectiveness, and what some of its limitations might be as well. Well, as a modern-day 4-4-2, a lot of teams have transferred to that 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, but a modern 4-4-2 has seen success in, in teams like Leicester and, and, and other teams like that. It needs two viable centre-forwards that are willing to do a lot of the dirty work, and you would say Valais-Germain and, and Radamel Falcao aren't exactly the right people for that sort of role. I mean, Valais-Germain will put himself about a bit, but they both want to be on the end of attacks rather than joining in. So the effectiveness on that evening against Fenerbahce wasn't particularly ideal. I mean, both were looking to run to same areas of the pitch. Both of them weren't really quite getting involved in the midfield, although I was impressed by Falcao's willingness to pull back a little bit than, than we would have expected. But the weakness, again, as well, is in, is in that midfield with two in midfield rather than what most teams have, which is around three in that midfield. You need two dynamic players that will work back and forth and it never really worked for them in the in this one. I don't think Fabinho or Bakayoko were really in the game fully enough in this kind of formation where you need your centre midfielders to really push on and you need dynamic wingers that will get down the wings as well and it just, it never really quite clicked. It looked like they'd not really rehearsed the role often enough. It looked like the, they were putting square pegs in round holes in occasions, and it, in the end, it just never seemed to be penetrating enough to trouble Fenerbahce. So, Peter, uh, we talked about this. I know Bernardo Silva's returning from an injury. Uh, my issue with this potentially would be where, where Bernardo Silva, who's been magnificent over the past few seasons for Monaco, fits into this team. Do you think that he has a place in this, in this format, uh, or do you think that he, he's best better served as an option off the bench? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I think that was a, an interesting point that you made, Nathan, actually, about how a 4-4-2 has to work. Because really, 4-4-2 is one of those formations where as long as you've got two central midfielders that can do and share the role of one winning the ball back and the other distributing, you can get all kinds of results from it. I mean, if you look at the, the best two teams that I can think of at the top of my head who have played 4-4-2, that would be Sir Alex's Manchester United and Arsene Wenger's Arsenal, or at least the old Arsenal, certainly not this one. And both of those midfields shared the quality of having a strong central midfielder who could get the ball back, i.e. Vieira or Keane, and a distributor, Scholes or Fabregas. Now, have Monaco got the players to be able to play that? Possibly. Bakayoko is a very good player. He, he, he's young, I know, but um, you know, he's strong in the midfield. And Bernardo Silva is is a creative. I don't know whether he's a distributor, but he is a, he is a creative. How he would fit in the team, I'm not so sure. Maybe if I was Jardim, and I'm glad I'm not, I would think about possibly playing a 4-4-1-1 with Silva maybe sitting off Germain. I certainly wouldn't be playing Falcao. Um, but that's just that's just my opinion. I guess when you're paying his kind of wages, you, you sort of have to play him. 
So, Adam, I'll, I'll come on to you now. Now, do you could you make an argument for for this four four two? I mean, there are there are other options that the team have. Uh, Fabinho and Bakayoko. I, I think neither one of them looked really comfortable uh, going forward. That's not what they're most adept at. Uh, but what about Adama Traore? He's someone that was signed from Lille last offseason, uh, was injured, and didn't really get a chance to play in that role. He's often been used as a winger for his country and, and at Lille, but uh, do you think he could prosper as one of these two central midfielders if, if Fabinho and Bakayoko will be a, a more defensive presence? Um, possibly. I, I think one of the main issues here is that the, the sides that I mentioned before, the Peterman just now, the United and Arsenal sides, they were playing a lot against, against a lot of teams who were playing similar formations, so they were free to have a bit more power in those sides, they're going to overpower two against two in that central position. With Monaco, they're going to be playing against teams who are going to be outnumbering them in central positions. For me, the, the main issue would be getting the best out of those attacking players we talked about. Perhaps we don't, Haukau doesn't really need to be playing, but maybe because he's playing because of his wages, but it would be good to see the best being got out of Tom Lamar, who would be, for me, the most important player in that midfield, because I thought he was actually fantastic at times last season. And if he's going to be on the left, is it going to get the best out of him? Would it be more suited in the centre position? Would that, if they did move him inside, would that make room for Bernardo Silva? I feel like Jardim knows that he's got Falcao, who's still a talented player, if you know, he's, he's, with his knees up to it or not. And um, Valerie Germain, who obviously had a brilliant season last season, he knows he's got those two strikers. And this, the formation is there to suit those two players. Um, I think Jibbal Sadibi is going to be a really good signing this season as well. He was great for Lille last year, really attacking all action style. So it, it might suit him a little bit if he can get some overlapping. But um, I think the reason Bernardo Silva's been left out is to sort of, because Nagel is a much more sort of workman-like player, like much like France at the Euros, Sissoko played on that wider right position in a very similar setup with, with Griezmann in behind because Sissoko offered a little more defensive, a little more workman-like style, whereas Bernardo Silva out on that, that wing isn't going to be doing that, whereas Dorar is. So maybe that's the reason that Bernardo Silva's been, been left out. I would love to see Adama Troy get a run because I think he's a talented player. He had some good spells at Lille when he was there, and unlucky with injuries. But whether he's the, whether he's the the cure to the to the four four two in Liga next season is another question. Great. I want to move on to the defense now. Uh, we saw the young Brazilian centre back Jamerson arguably at fault for both goals, even though Emenike's finish on the second was was really impressive. Nathan, is is he right to trust uh, to trust Jamerson, you know, given his his amount of experience in uh, since joining the club? At the moment, he kind of has to. Um, Gleek is obviously signed from Torino, but he's not fit after the Euros, and Ricardo Calvalio is having that extended stop after Portugal's victory in those European championships. So he, he kind of has to at the moment. Um, neither him or Raji was particularly impressive last night. I mean, the first goal, he's not strong enough against Emenike, who, who really overpowers him. And, it's not the best of goals either then because the, the goalkeeper rushes out and, and sort of, he's a very young lad and he's he sort of dived at the feet and gave in, given Emenike too an easy option to go round him. But he's certainly probably at fault of the, that one. The second one, it is a good finish, but I, I think it was more Raji than, than Jemison at fault of that one. He was the one that wasn't picking up anyone in that centre of the box. He was the one who drifted towards the other defenders and left Emenike that space between him and I think it was the fullback, so I think it was Sidibe. And it's a really good finish, but he's given so much space to do it that it's not the hardest one for someone of Emenike's usual quality to do. It's going to be still a serious um, issue for Monaco if they can't get another defender in. I don't think they probably will. But Gleek's a very good player. That's a very good signing for them, I think. And he, he will certainly improve that, that position. But Raji, Carvalho aren't good enough. Is he may have to trust Jernemison. He might have to trust him in the season if if they don't bring someone in, and that's that's a bit of a worry for a team that wants to be fighting near those top positions. Now, Peter, I'll come on to you. So we, we've talked a little bit so far about Radamel Falcao being forced to be played um, due to the wages he's on and the fact there's two more years left on his contract. There's nobody that's seemed to have come to step forward to to take him back on loan or to offer him up on a permanent deal. Uh, do you, do you think there could be any possible redemptive qualities uh, to Falcao this season? He's fit. He's motivated. Um, he's at a he's at a team where the level is a little bit uh, less than it has been at Chelsea, and Manchester United. Do you think that um, he can have a little bit more confidence and, and get a shot at redemption this season? Mm, it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, 
nothing about the last two years of him playing in the Premier League gives me any hope that he's going to uh, be, you know, answer Monaco's prayers this season. I've got to be honest. I mean, all the times that he played for Manchester United, he might as well have not been on the pitch. And mm. Chelsea, I mean, I don't know what he was doing. He was keeping that bench incredibly warm. But I don't know. There's something about Radamel Falcao that makes me think that if he is made to feel like he is the main man, which at Monaco I think it's fair to say he probably is, in regards to him being probably the most uh, well-renowned player in that team, then something might just click there and he might just f- suddenly find some form. But, you know, it's a really difficult one. I-, I can still remember the Falcao of Atletico Madrid and when he tore apart Chelsea. Uh, I can't remember whether it was in the Champions League or the Europa League or something like that, but it was, it was absolutely torn to shreds. Cup, yeah. Super Cup, that was it, yeah. And, you know, maybe that play is still there. Um, but whether or not it will happen, I certainly don't think it will happen in a, in a, in a, in a 4-4-2. I think Jardim is going to have to play a creative player behind Falcao to start creating chances for him. You know, possibly bringing, bringing Lamar um, in behind him. Just to jump in here as well, I think, I think this could be the most important decision, really, of Jardim's season upcoming that striker position because Radamel Falcao hasn't, like we've said already um, and Peter's mentioned, it's, he's not really impressed at all in that um, two seasons in the Premier League. But I was I was reasonably impressed with his movement last night and his willingness to come to forwards to the ball, look for areas in the box and get into those dangerous positions. He scores the goal. It's, it's, it's a decent finish even though it does sort of land at his feet a little bit luckily. But... You, you do get that feeling that Falcao can be such a special player if he can find it again. But the risk is there that they've still got Germain, who had an excellent season at Nice and showed that he's got the quality in Liga that they may need, even at the top of that table with those 15 goals he scored. Which one do you play? That's the real question. Which one do you play? That's going to be the biggest decision he's going to make. He's, he's, to be fair to him, he's moved more tonight than he's moved in the last two years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Quite comfortably, yeah. Yeah. So, Adam, I wanted to come on to you briefly for our, our last little topic here about Monaco and Fenner. Uh, uh, Louis Parichile, um had, had really impressed in preseason friendlies, um, but again, hadn't had any professional appearances until last night, and uh, Morgan de Sanchez's injury sort of pressed him in, into action. Just wanted to get your initial impressions on him as a player. Um, does he, What kind of promise does he have? Uh, you know, did Monaco make an, an error in loaning Paul Nardi? Um, I, I'm not sure they did, because given they've got Subasic and Morgan de Sanctis, I mean, um, um, the young 18-year-old goalkeeper is going to be third choice, and to use him so soon, they wouldn't have expected to do so. 12 minutes in, de Sanctis gets injured, but, you know, it's, 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 a lot, it's almost a last resort. I think, given he's so young, he's obviously got a lot of promise, and he had a, a decent enough um, um, debut yesterday, but, again, he's not going to be used too much this season when you've got Subasic and the experience of Morgan de Sanctis in behind. It was, it was a bit of a surprise to see him being moved again, being played so early. Um, I think Paul Nardi deserves, you know, deserves a bit more first-team football. So it wasn't necessarily a mistake in loaning him. I mean, he'll develop as a player. So for me, I think it was the right decision. It's just been unfortunate that you've got to throw an 18-year-old goalkeeper in a way in a Champions League qualifier, which is huge for the club. It's just a bit unlucky. But he's definitely got potential, and he's got a long way to go in his career. Only 18, so he's, he's got he's got a long way to go. Sure. I, so I just want to get predictions for the. Next leg for everybody. I'll start with you, Nathan. I'm a little bit worried after this result. Um, Monaco haven't got people fit that they need, like Glick, no Carvalho, possibly new Sebastic still. I think they might. I think it might be one nil, and they go through on away goals. I think Fadabache looked a little bit suspect at the back occasionally last night. They don't really have a strong midfield, but they, they might just nick it. Um, I, I, I've got to echo what Nathan said there, to be honest with you. Um, it's all going to depend on who Monaco are playing at the back. Um, I've got a horrible feeling they're going to go out. Adam? Um, I, I'm, I'm with Nathan on this one. I think it'll be 1-0 to Monaco. They'll, they'll nick it on away goals. You've got to remember that Fenerbahce aren't the team they were last season either, losing Nani and Lazarmarkovic and a few others. So they're, they're worse off than they were last season, whereas Monaco, although they've got a few injuries and a few doubts, they've man for man improved. And I, I would expect, at home, I'd expect them to, to keep a clean sheet. I mean, I mean he's not the, you know, he scored twice yesterday, but I mean, away from home, I wouldn't expect him to trouble them maybe too much. 
So perhaps a clean sheet and nick a goal. So one nil and scrape through, but it's tight. I mean, I, I do favour them slightly, but I just about favour them. All right. So we have a mix of, of cautious optimism there from our, our panel. <laughs> we're going to move on to the first of the two Europa League fixtures uh, from this evening. Uh, we're going to start with Lille versus uh, Kabbalah, an Azerbaijani team. Uh, not some mixed results here. I, I think that you know a draw, okay. A score draw, maybe less ideal. So uh, Nathan, I'd like to come on to you first. Uh, we see, we've seen some continuation from uh, Frederic Antonetti uh, playing the same 4-3-3 uh, that we saw last year, but um, switching up the personnel a little bit, um, adding Morgan Amalfitano to give a little bit more uh, thrust from from midfield. Uh, just what were your overall impressions of the match, and how did the, how did you feel that these players seemed to click? <sighs> Lille really showed what Lille are on occasions in this game. It was it was another one of those ones that felt like from the middle of their season where they didn't have a proper centre forward and therefore couldn't operate properly at any point. They're, a lot of their shots were coming from outside the box. Kabbalah did an excellent job, I thought, of keeping them out of the 18-yard box and restricting their chances to distance, especially after they went up in front and Lille had to claw one back. But... They they look so much different with that air up front. Um, obviously, he's got that, again, extended stay due to his Portugal commitments, but he, we didn't think he would, but he, he added so much to the team that a big target man, although they've had a couple before that haven't scored the amount of goals he did, really changed how they played. And, and Ryan Mendes as a centre-forward just did not work in the slightest. I mean... Maybe you would have started Benzia. It might have been an idea, and like you say, with Mavuba and Amadou in those midfield roles instead of someone like um, Amal who is a workman but is not really cut out for this level anymore, really. And it was such a shame for Obadi to come off as well. That was that was a little bit of a disappointment for them for getting him off so early. But this was just seemed like classic Lille. They... They, they, this could have quite easily been 1-0 if Kabbalah couldn't have scored that goal, but that would have been absolutely Lille all over from last season. They couldn't score enough goals, and they had to rely on the defence. Now, I'm not worried about the next leg, although this was a strange leg in a, their old stadium in their away kit, which <laughs> confused me for a brief moment when I turned on the stream that I was, I was wondering where the hell they were. Um, but, but It was just such a disappointing performance again from a team that we thought had got over the hump and it shows how important players like, I would say Adair at the moment is maybe even more important than Sofian Buffal even though he is extremely talented and creative It's Adair seems to be that glue that fixes this team together and that could be a problem in the next couple of rounds Peter I'll come on to you now um, we've seen Ronnie Lopez make a return to Lille uh, if Sofian Buffal does depart, as, as is extremely likely to happen due to the financial issues that Lille faced, um, uh, from what we've seen on the, on the evidence this season and in his prior two campaigns at the club, how, how how much of a breakout season do you think this player could have, and how, how do you think Antonetti should best use him? Yeah, I mean, potentially he could be the main man for them this season, especially if uh, Buffal's rumoured move to the Premier League does go through. Um, it was interesting performance really really to use that old cliche it was a game of two halves or perhaps a, a game of two Lille's because the first half was the old uh, pre-Antonetti Lille that we had gotten so used to this kind of dogged slow you know just irritatingly poor tempo and the second half was something completely different uh, obviously Antonetti had um, really fired a rocket at them in the changing room and they came out and you know, they were moving the ball around quicker, they were getting the ball into the box. Uh, and I think players like Lopez and especially Sebastian Corsia, who re I had as my man of the match for tonight, are absolutely key to just moving that ball forward up the pitch for Lille. Um, in regards to how important Lopez is going to be for them this season, I think he needs to play centrally. I, I don't like the 4-3-3. Three, three. I, I don't like it at all. I think you need to be a really, really good team with a lot of very quality players. Um, to play the 4-3-3 because it's all about balance and I think when you've got a bit of a mismatch of talent like Lille do I don't think the 4-3-3 really works I'd like to see them play the 4-2-3-1 with Lopez perhaps behind Adair and then you know you know, Botec on the on one wing and possibly Mafetano on the other or something like that 
Um, but yeah, in, in terms of how important Mendes is going to be, I think he could be really, really important. Um, he showed a few flickers of just immense skill in that game and uh, showed a real intent to get forward, and I think Lille need players like that. I'll come on to you, Adam. So I think I agree. Corsia was certainly impressive, but I thought the other fullback was pretty impressive as well. Uh, if you give us your thoughts, Adam, on Julian Palmieri's performance and what he could do for the team this season. Yeah, I, I, I like Julian Palmieri a lot. I thought he had a, a great season for, for Bastia last year. And it's been good business from Lille, really, losing Sidibe for, what, 13 million and, and getting Palmieri on, on, on a free. Um, and I don't think there's a, a vast amount of difference between the two players. Um, I would be pretty happy if I was if I was Michel Sadio with that with that business there. But um, I, I think he's good going forward. He, he he's good for your goal. He's got a couple of goals last season. He can cross the ball well, and he's going to be an outlet on that left hand flank. And he's arguably a slightly better defender than Dribble City Day as well, who who could sometimes positionally be be a little bit a little bit wanting. Um, I I think a fullback position in Lille is is possibly the one of the stronger areas because Korshaw's a, a fantastic player, one of my favorite players in in their team and in, in the league. Um, he may have even gone to the Euros to me, I mean, ahead of Jale, perhaps. But um, there's, a, there's a lot of potential in that side. I have to agree with, with, the, with the Edda situation as well. I think, he, although he's not the most prolific of players and he's not necessarily the most talented, he's definitely got his limitations, but he just adds so much presence to that forward line. He's got he's someone to play to, someone to play up to, someone to play at, and it means that people like Butiak, Buffal, when he's around, when he's fit, if he stays, uh, perhaps even Benzio Mendes can play off him and, and, and use him. Um, he's not going to be. He's not going to get you 20 goals a season, but he will allow you sort of facilitator for the rest of their forwards. And I have to agree with with, with the piece point as well about the 4-2-3-1. That that I think the three midfielders of Abadi and Mavuba and Amadou, although good players, there's a little creativity in the area of the team. They need to move Marcus Lopez in, in the, into the centre, which he was fantastic when Buffal was injured for the last couple of day, days of games of last season. He was brilliant in that position, and he could really be that creative force that they need. If they're going to put Edda up front and they get, they've got the, the wingers as well, Vucic and and uh, Amalfitano perhaps, then you know there could be a force. They've got some great. They've got solid defensively. Basham and are going to be fantastic, and Yama's a brilliant goalkeeper. They they could be top four this season, but it's just without Edda, they look so bereft in attack. The difference between him and Ryan Mendes, or even Yassin Benzia, who bizarrely came on and played in midfield as well when Avadi went off injured, which is an unusual move. Um, I just think there's almost like a hole in that in that central position and. Ed is key for them, but um, he, he would also be serviced by people like Pamari and Korshar at fullback. So I think, yeah, to answer your question, Pamari will, will definitely replace the and can end up being a really important player for them. All right, so well, let's get some predictions for next week. Uh, I'll come again to you, Nathan, first. Uh, I think this should be an easy win, really, even though it's away from home. If they can rediscover the, make sure that they don't concede is the important thing. But an, an easy one, two goal win for Lille, I think, in, in the Azerbaijan. Peter? Well, I think Kabbalah, as they show tonight, are quite happy to sit back and defend. You know, they, they look like the Azerbaijani Tony Pulis team. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's another tight game. In fact, that's something Antonetti said before the game. He said the only thing that was going to be certain was that it would be tight. And I think it'll be a 1 0 win for Lille. They'll just scrape through and they can dust themselves off and get on with the rest of the season. And Adam? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it'll be one that's hard. It will be a close game because you know, they're the, the very defensive as they were this evening, and I, they, got, they got relatively fortunate with their goal this evening. Perhaps Lille, only a sort of four weeks in, in, in pre-season training, which Antonetti mentioned in his build-up that there was an issue. Perhaps they were a bit sluggish to start with, and from that moment on, especially in the second half, Lille dominated. And with that extra weeks training, they've had a competitive game under their belts. I, I see Lille winning, but but perhaps only scraping a one-goal one goal win because I don't really see Kabbalah scoring, scoring in the second leg. All right, so now we're going to move on to Saint-Étienne versus AEK Athens. Uh, it was a scoreless draw at home again for Saint-Étienne. Um, we saw them line up in a 4-3-3 after some early experimentations, uh, at least to start the match, uh, after some earlier expect experimentations and friendlies with a 4-4-2. Um, come on to you, Nathan. Um, does the 4-3-3 make sense? Are there some surprises in the starting 11 uh, that uh, that Christophe Gaultier picked? Would you have done anything differently? Uh, it's, it's always difficult to say that. Um, I would have... With the team that they have, maybe maybe Brian Dabo in, on, instead, instead of someone like Pajot. We've seen Pajot and Lemoine and, and the like for 
many years, and it seems to always be those central midfielders. But this just felt like again, it was it's a continuation of last season for Santetian. It was another game that they sort of coast in, where they seem to be creating ch- chances, if you want to call them that. Then they never seem to be dangerous enough. I would have liked to see if he was fit enough. I'm not sure if he was. I would have liked to see Berich start. Um, instead of someone like Nolan Rue, who's not really prolific of although he did finish the season reasonably well. They they just seem to never quite hit full gear in this formation 4-3-3, although is there another way they could play this? Is there another way that that they can sort of change things up for the next game to, to get a good result in, in Greece? I'm not so sure that they've got the capable players to try and do something different. I mean... Usman Tanane didn't have the best of games, although he's had a good, he had a good end to the season. We expect more from Roman Hamouma as well. Kevin Monipake came on too late to really affect anything, but they just need to force the issue a little bit more in these kind of games. It always seems like Saint Etienne are never quite the instigators in games. That's they stay at the top of the around the top of the French league because they're hardworking and they will they will try their best to limit the opponent's chances and then sometimes they will take when they take control of games sometimes they can be really impressive but they never they never want to take these kind of games that they need to in Europe by the scruff of the neck when when teams aren't necessarily pressuring them as much and I don't know whether what differently I would have done with the players available to me really it's they're kind of stuck in a position of they need maybe one or two more to to try and change something a little bit more but no, they just seem stuck in a little bit of a rut. Well, Peter, I'll come on to you. I think one something that was a bit of a surprise was the fact that uh, only Ole Senles started this match. He was somebody who was brought in um, from uh, the Norwegian League during midwinter and didn't really feature much in last season's run-in. Uh, but uh, what were your initial thoughts on him? Uh, could he be an important uh, part for this team going forward as uh, you know they look to sort of phase out Jeremy Clement and Fabien Lemoyne as the pair of them age? Yeah, I think he's a, he's a good young player. He's got talent from what I've seen from, uh, of him. He looks like he distributes the ball well. Um, I think they're probably just trying to find a role for him. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the exits. I'm just looking at Setatian's transfers, and there's a lot of big names on their outlist. I mean, Mustafa Saal's gone, Kouad's gone, Tabano, Eserik, Bahabek. These are really big players for them last season, and they haven't replaced them. So they're going to be, you know, trying things out, I think, in these early stages. I think they're going to be looking for a system. I think Nathan's right. I don't think 4-3-3 works. And I think that for the same reason um, that I gave for why I don't think it works for Lille. But you're right. What do they play? What do they try? For me, I think their their talent comes out wide and up front. I think Dabo's an excellent player, big, wrong centre forward. And I like Kevin Monipake as well. I really like him. Uh, uh, um, Tanan. And I do like Hamuma, and they're all good wide players. So if I was a manager of Setetien right now, which again, I'm glad I'm not, I would be trying to utilize those wide areas, get the ball into Dabo, and let him work his magic because he is a really talented player. All right, so Adam, coming on to you, talk to me a little bit about the way Athens played. I, I was personally very impressed with their performance. I wondered if you thought the same. Yeah, I, th- I thought they, they were surprisingly good. A, a little bit like Kabbalah, but obviously with a lot more a lot more talent, um, especially going in forward areas. They were happy to sit as well. They were happy to soak up pressure and look for look for a counter-tracking goal. But um, it seemed like they were capable of creating the chance that Kabbalah weren't for the last 70 minutes of that game uh, in, in, in Lille. They often sat with like the, the, the wingers a little, a little bit wider of fullback, so it was very difficult for Sinetian to break them down. And, and they, they deserved their point, I thought, that Sinetian created very little. And, um, a captains were a good side. I think it's a really interesting point what they said about what I was saying about Sinetien's midfield. It's the most uninspiring midfield in Ligue 1. Their signings, I, I like Dabo. I think he's a, a good player, but I think they're going to need they need a number ten. They need a, a creative midfielder. They're going to need someone who's going to create challenges. He's going to pick a pass in that midfield. They're going to play those three midfielders. And I'm surprised to let Valentin Esserich go. Although he's an intermittent like performer, he's definitely more capable of, of creating chances than perhaps like people like Jerry Kalan and Davo and Pajo and Selnes and Lamar. Um it's 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 just such a such a sort of uninspiring midfield three, whichever three you pick from them. And then Benjamin Bonjamin Cornier is not not up to the not up to this level in my opinion at all. 
So there's a, they've got a lot to work on there. I, I think for Gautier's sake, this is a, a huge season for him because I think they're obviously an ambitious club and, and last season they were aiming for Champions League and they were close to the year before. And if, if they don't make it through this, this, this qualifying round or push for the top three in, in, in league and they're almost taking a step back, perhaps he's taken the club as far as he can go. I mean, he's a good manager. He gets the best out of his players, but have they reached a, a plateau perhaps? I mean, maybe move Hamouma inside and they can use Mario Paki, who's a player I really like as well. He was fantastic for, for the middle third of last season um, with Taman Wide and, and Berich, who, who was brilliant in Austria. He's very much a, a sort of one of those players, but plays between the, plays between the, the 18-yard lines and he's you know, a very good finisher but hasn't really been given a chance to show that because of his injury. But they've got a fantastic defence to build on, like Perran, Pogba, Tefo, Catherine, and Rufia. They're, they're not going to concede many goals. They just need that creative spark, which they don't have at the moment. Yeah, instead, of, instead of attempting to clone Lem one every, every summer, I think they need to try and do something a bit different there. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll get our predictions, starting with you, Nathan, for next leg. Um, I really fancy Saint-Étienne away from home, even though they struggled creatively in this one. They tend to do a little bit better away from home. They did in Europe last season, anyway, where they the teams went for them. They they prefer to play on that counter-attack, especially like we've already mentioned, the, the creativity and the speed they've got out wide. I, th I think they'll nick a t something like a 2-0 win and away from home. Peter? 1-0, I think Big Dabo's going to get it. <laughs> And Adam? Yeah, I, I, I actually fear for them a little bit, but I think they're gonna be I think they are better away from home and they prefer that kind of style. I mean it works and they had some great for I went in Ypres when they won three 0 last season in the Europa League group stages. They were fantastic in that game. Hopefully they can repeat that performance. But I have a horrible feeling about them. I I'm I'm worried for them this season in general. I have a feeling they're gonna go out and maybe a one will draw. Maybe it's maybe a sort of two one loss, sorry, they'll go out and and the Gautier might not last too much longer. But, um that's me. Uh, that's me fearmongering. I think a little bit for San Etienne fans, but um, it's doom and gloom all the way. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm wrong, but it's it's going to be close. But like all three of the team. All right. So it's definitely very much a mixed bag of results across at least three of the league on teams. I think all three of them are sort of feeling their way, uh, integrating some new players, some players returning from injury, and just sort of looking to create a holistic. Uh, approach and maybe these ties aren't coming at the most opportune time, but they are, you know, again, very important for the way that France operate in Europe. France are, I think, really, really need to get that fifth spot back in the coefficient list. Uh, we've seen the struggles of the third place team in the playoffs in the recent past, and it's important that I think that France can perhaps steal a march on, on Portugal and move back up into into fifth. But uh, enough about European football. We'll again have analysis of next week's matches next week, but uh, to conclude, I've got uh, a couple brief, briefer roundtable sections. Um, uh, we've had uh, not no Liga matches to preview this week, obviously, but uh, we have seen quite a few managerial changes this summer in France's top flight, uh, six in total. I asked each of our panelists to select uh, one manager who they think might be of particular interest to change the club's fortunes, uh, hopefully for the better. Uh, and Adam, I'd like to start with you and Rene Girard moving to Nantes. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting an interesting move from um, Vladimir Keita after Michel Dutarkis Corin uh, left in rather sort of ignominious uh, circumstances at the end of last season when uh, his uh, his farewell speech to the crowd was sort of drowned out by music ordered by the president. They they not spoken to each other personally for quite a while, and as his contract ran down, they um, there wasn't much chance of it being renewed. Um, I think the thing for Nantes this season is they need to be far more effective in in an attacking sense, which. Zakarian showed very briefly in sparks, but wasn't able to cajole his team into into those sort of attacking space that the, the, the president and the, the fans desire. So I, I thought maybe they'd go for someone like Christian Gorkov if they could get him over the summer because that'd be a, they, he's quite a forward-thinking manager. So I was a little bit surprised with with Gerard, but it's, it, given he's a little maybe he's a little bit more conservative. But um, he's obviously a, a, a thorough coach. He was fantastic with, with Montpellier when they won the won the title. Uh, outstanding achievement there. And first season at Lille, they did well, came third and got into the Champions League. Didn't make the group stages, but but an impressive season nonetheless. And it sort of got a bit stale for him there, but and ended up ended up leaving it into the season before last. But I think he's got a really good basis to build on, and he's the type of manager that will suit this team. Um, midfield in the midfield at, at Nantes in particular is a talented a talented midfield. It's a great base to build on. Uh, Guillaume Gillet was brilliant in the last season, and uh, Alejandro Bedoya is obviously a talented player, American international and. Given, given the right opportunities, he's a, someone that can really affect the game. Um, but people like Adrian Thomason, young players in there as well, Valentin Rongier coming back. 
from a long injury. They've got a lot of talent, and I think that uh, Gerard is the, the especially if he plays a diamond like he did at the end of his uh, a lot of time actually when he was at Lille, he played that diamond midfield, which would suit those four players. And there's obviously like a lot of like a few young players that he get hit by. I expect him to get the best out of, given that he has worked with lots of under underage French teams um, for the for Le um, Kofi Gigi's a, a promising defender. Obviously, I've mentioned Rongier as well. So there's a, there's a few opportunities from there. But I think they need a striker. I think they, they need a striker from somewhere. Um, Colbyn Sigtorsen, although Iceland were, were obviously fantastic at the Euros, still looked lumbering in my opinion for a lot of the a lot of the tournament, like he did last season, only getting three. Um, league and goals all, all season. Obviously, he's hampered by injuries, and he's had a long-running um, toe issue. I think that uh, affects him occasionally. But given that it's it's sort of the choice between him or Emiliano Salah, who for me only had one or two really outstanding performances last season, um, there's there's a lot to work on in that area. So I think it's the, his main issue is can he get that 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 attacking line, those midfielders, to supply those forwards and score some goals. They need goals. And I need need someone to do it. I don't know if Salah and Sigtorsen are are the right or the right candidates. There's obviously experience in that team as well, especially at the back. Vizcarondo, Sana, good centre backs. Um, they're not going to concede many. Maintaining the Zakarian's defensive or at least stable, solid kind of style platform is is imperative because not scoring at one end, conceding at the other is is a bit of a disastrous start. But I think it's going to be one of the most interesting stories of the season to see how this team develops because I think there's a lot of potential there. The right signing up front, who knows, they could challenge for Europe. All right. Uh, Adam also wrote a really lovely piece uh, for the website if you want to check that out as well. Uh, get at our, so you can look on our website if you want to see even more from him on that. And Nathan, I'll come on to you. Lucien Favre has moved uh, after his dismissal by Borussia Mönchengladbach to OGC Nice to replace uh, Claude Puel. You want to... Give us a little a bit of your thoughts about that. Well, I'll preface this talk by saying that I love Lucian Favre. So <laughs> um, take take this with the slightest grain of salt. But yeah, I'm with I you think, on that, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is the best managerial move of the summer, possibly even in Europe. Um, I Ooh. think, yeah, I think Lucian Favre is a, a terrific manager. Um, he did some ex- excellent stuff at Gladbach, ignoring those absolutely bizarre eight or ten weeks of the first start of the season in the Bundesliga last season where they couldn't buy a win and then as soon as he leaves they can't not buy a loss. <laughs> it's, it's, it seems it seems like the most peculiar thing but he's such an exciting manager for Nice to pick up after Claude Puel. I mean he did excellent last season. They thought that he was going to go to someone like Monaco or something like that. It ends up being Southampton that he leaves to and they get farther in. It's a really, really good move because he's going to try to continue what Puel has started with this team last season, which is giving youth its chance and playing exciting football. That's what these Gladbach teams did. They played exciting, attacking football, and he will keep that tradition going. Now, there's obviously a few issues that he's got to attend with, one being the loss of Hatem Ben Arfa, which is practically irreplaceable for a club like Nice. The loss of Napoli's Mendy to Lee Leicester, that's maybe a little bit easier to replace. Well, as Cyprian came from from Lens, he's a good young player. He might be able to fill that role if they're if they're lucky. Although that's still big shoes to fill. And finding a replacement for Valé Germain's goals as well is the important thing. If not, they might be able to get him back on loan if they don't play him at Monaco. But he's got a great track record of bringing through young players as well, which is really important to a club like Nice. He brought in the likes of Marco Royce at Mönchengladbach. He brought through on Marc-Andre to Stegen. Um, he pulled players like Granit Xhaka, who really struggled in his first year, put him under his wing and really gave him the, the wings to fly there. That is really, really important to players like Vincent Cosiello and Lissan Player. The young players they've brought in, like Cyprian, we've already mentioned, and Lusamba from Nancy, getting those players under his wing teaching them the way he wants to play, which is that same kind of attacking, exciting football that Nice fans really, really enjoyed last season. Although it's it's going to be very difficult for them to emulate it perfectly without the likes of Ben Arthur because he's such a talented footballer. But they couldn't have really picked a better man to pick up the mantle than far from me. Nathan, am I right in thinking that Dante, the Brazilian centre-back, has been linked with a, a move to Nice? Yeah, yes, he's been linked. Um, he's no longer playing for Wolfsburg pretty much at, to the end of last season, although 
they were practically abysmal. But he has been linked with them. But they've they've bought Paul Bice, who they had on loan from Saint Etienne, who had a really good season. He'll start. Um, their defence will be pretty much unchanged, I would imagine, from what they've already got. But if they bring someone in like Dante, who is maybe a little bit more limited now than he was back at Bayern Munich, and he wasn't particularly advanced then, it's it's a good signing for someone like a league and club, especially of the quality in Nice. And, and they just want to keep adding to their team. Someone like his experience will really help after losing Ben Arthur, who's a really experienced uh, international European player. They might need to add a little bit more of that. And they, like I say, they definitely need a striker before the window ends. Although, although they may move Alessandro Player into that central role, maybe. That might be the that might be the decision this summer. That's probably that's probably his most important thing first. I mean, Ben Arthur's a big miss, but you can't really replace a player like that. Getting a striker in again, which is a problem for a number of league and clubs and, and clubs across the world at the moment, but yeah, imagine Dante in Liga for Nice. It's, it's unimaginable <laughs> two years ago. Peter, I'll come on to you. Um, your uh, your pick in our discussion before the, the podcast was uh, Christian Gorkuf moving to Rennes uh, to partner up with his his son Johan and uh, try and try and sort out all the changes that Philippe Montagnier had made there over his his time in charge. Yeah, I think this is a really, really good appointment. Um, I know Adam obviously mentioned it would have been a nice appointment for Nantes. Well, unlucky Nantes. He's uh, come to Rennes, and I I really think that uh, Stade Rennes' biggest problem last season, um, and I'm hoping, seeing as I'm going to be following Rennes uh, pretty much all season, uh, that they fix this, was that they had a lot of talented players who didn't look very organised. Paul-Georgian Tep, Giovanni Sio. Uh, you know, obviously Ozuman Dembele, who's obviously now gone to Borussia Dortmund. These were some really fantastically talented players, but none of them looked like they knew what they were doing in, far, in regards to their role in the team. And Dembele, you know, he was forced time and time again to have to wander all over the pitch. Um, and, you know, in the end, that actually turned out to be quite a good thing, as he uh, he's done quite well for himself. So I think what Gokouf will probably end up bringing to Ren is organisation. I mean, his Lorient side for, for such a long time was so well-drilled, so well-drilled. And I can remember FC Lorient should have been relegated time and time again, and, and every year they'd managed to just stick to Liga and, 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 and really, you know, they were they were very, very solid. They, they remind me of, um, or at least they have reminded me of Stoke, in the Premier League, very very solid side, side strong side. You know, um, producing players like, uh, oh, what's his name, the, the Sunderland centre back who's just been linked with Everton. That's the one. Yeah, you know, players like that, typical typical Christian Gokuf players. So I'd like to see him bring some organisation. I think he'll play four four two. That seems to be his preferred formation. I'd, you know, I think in one of the warm up games he played um, just before he got injured, he played in Tep up front. Which is something I'd really like to see. I mean, he he's he's a seriously talented player. Um, but yeah, I think I think Gokuf will bring organisation. He'll make Ren hard to beat, which is what they need to be, because we already know they've got the talent. They just need to become a side that can grind out results, and uh, I, I think Gokuf will bring that. All right, my personal pick here is uh, Antoine Camboire, uh moving to Gangamp. Uh, this is a team that had sort of staked their claim on, uh, under Grovenek and being a, a veteran a veteran team, but the squad shifted a little bit. They brought in some younger players, uh, like the likes of Jonathan Ikoko from uh, PSG. Uh, Ludovic Blas uh, and uh, Marcus Coco are two younger players who are already with the team. Um, Alexander Mendy has been brought in from Nice. Uh, Comboray has a fantastic reputation for uh, bringing through these younger players. And I think that, you know, whether... Well, last season, you know, Gangamp, with the possible exception of Nico Benese, weren't very exciting to watch. They sort of played a rather staid... Uh, brand of football. I think in the likes of Mendy, um, Blas, and Coco, you've got the core of a, a really exciting young team, and I think that Gangam can sort of, sort of, sort of shake off their reputation as not being a, uh, as being sort of a, a dour team. Um, there are some questions surrounding the goalkeeper. Um, Jonas Lassel's been sold, um, and there's there's been some some replacements brought in. Um, Portuguese uh, Portuguese base goalkeeper Saran uh, is one, and so that needs to be sorted out before the season starts, but. I think the Kambuare, as a developer of young talent, has a, a really fine reputation. Um, I think has has continued to show show that he's able to get the best out of what he has uh, since he, he was, uh, in my opinion, unfairly dismissed from Paris Saint Germain. Um, so 
you know, oh, Carl Johan Jonsson was also brought in, uh, former Swedish international as a, as a goalkeeper. They've been playing in Denmark. Um, so there's some there's some good options there for for Kronborg to develop. And you know, whether we're going to see Gangan pushing at the European places, you know, I sort of doubt that. But uh, I do think that they should be a lot more exciting to watch and inventive. Now that the squad's been uh, sort of remade, and, and Kronborg is the kind of manager who will give these these young players a chance. Uh, and just to conclude, uh, we are going to talk about we're each going to put up our best transfer uh, of the summer so far. And these are transfers that are going to clubs uh, in Ligue 1. So, uh, Adam, I'll come to you. Um, uh, yeah, um, I, I think mine is sort of a, a transfer policy in general, but it's, it's typified by, by one player. And Mets obviously promoted to, to Ligue 1 this season, and uh, the signing of, of Jan Duke from, uh, from Lorient is a, is a fantastic coup for them, uh, in my opinion. I'm surprised Lorient, given given the the lack of movement in the summer for them overall, have didn't try to hold on to him a bit more. Um, I expect him to perhaps move abroad, but he's he's come come to Mets, and I think he'll be a, a huge a huge player for them this season. We talked about Leo and Zanetti and perhaps lacking some creativity in midfield. I think um, Jan Druf is something that's going to definitely add that to to Mets's to Mets's team. Um, from the right, perhaps even centrally, maybe um, he's going to be able to pick a pass. He can provide a cross. He's going to be fantastic on the ball, and he, he can end up being quite easy their most important player. But they've sort of, he's sort of like a one a part of a theme at Mets, signing experienced league and players uh, upon their promotion with Renault Kyard going from from Sanetian, interesting signing as well. Um, just come back from injury, uh, of a decent attacking midfielder, Mevla Erdink, who's got league and experience, not necessarily prolific, but an experienced player in a, for a club like Mets, he's going to be an important player. And even like Frank Signorino, is 34 now, but again, a solid player to go back to his first club and uh, at left back. He was he was one of the brand's better players last season. So I think they they could they could sort of quite easily avoid relegation with with Juve uh, leading the line and, and hopefully a few assists for him this season. And Nathan, for you? I'm going to pick probably the, one of the more obvious ones. And um, if you didn't know my disposition to Rance last season, another former Rance player, Kakoviak, who's going to Paris Saint-Germain from Sevilla. That's exactly the kind of player Paris Saint-Germain needed. They, Thiago Motta wasn't really on form last season, and he, he does seem to be on the downturn. Krakowiak oh. is that yeah shock horror <laughs> blasphemy shun yeah. the heretic. Uh, I agree. That's I think he, I think you're right. I think he is. Yeah, and and Krakowiak oh, is his heir apparent. Um, the Polish international. He's a really really good player. Really good player. I really like how he puts himself about in the field. He he doesn't mind distributing it long. He can play it short. He's really good at interrupting the, the opponent's flow by either getting involved with it in getting stuck in or or being in that right position to intercept. He's exactly the linchpin Paris Saint Germain needed um to add to their to add to their midfield that did seem to be lacking, especially in Europe last season sometimes where they were too open and too attacked and, and, and when you've got centre back like David Luiz, you desperately need someone who can defend in front of him and Kovac <laughs> Exactly the man who needed. Just a couple of mentions of, of the other ones I've enjoyed. I think um, a Bordeaux, um, the Toulon to Bordeaux is an excellent signing for them on a free. He's a he's still a very good player and the experience they need. And the final one for me, um, a loan move for Marseille of all. They need desperately someone. Um, I think Zinedine Mashash from from Toulouse. He, he impressed me on occasions last season when he got the chances and I think he might grow at Marseille and they do have a buy option I believe in him so that could be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah I would definitely agree with that. Zinedine Matash was fantastic last season for, for Toulouse and given a chance when he came through with Issa Diop and, and Alvin Lafont. Um, he sort of fell out with with, um, with Pascal Deprez when he, when he signed which is really unfortunate because he's such a fantastic player and really could have grown the season at Toulouse. Hopefully he'll do so at Marseille. Mm-hmm. Peter, who's your favourite transfer of the summer in Liga? Oh, sorry, just just let me just let me gather my thoughts a second after hearing this Thiago Motta bashing. I mean, <laughs> oh, I really felt that one. Oh my goodness me! I've got to say, he's he's got to be one of my favourite players to watch. The job he does is just so uncredited, and you know, just to hear these hear these blasphemous voices really 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 gets me down. <laughs> um, so so who have I gone for? So. I did. I did have written down Krakowiak. I must admit, um, 
he's a he's a going to be a fantastic player for PSG, and and I really enjoyed watching him at the Euros and the job that he did for Poland. Um, I think in a sort of slightly similar role, um, Clément Chatelet, who's gone from Bordeaux to Rennes, I thought that was a really really shrewd signing from Gokouf. Just signing that that bit of experience. He's younger than you think, Chatelet as well, and he's a good distributor. Gets the ball back. I think he'll do a good job in in that kind of organising role uh, for Rennes. A couple of other ones that I had written down. Um, Nkulu, I think, is a very shrewd signing from Leon, for Lyon. Marseille, who I really don't want to start talking about because I just won't stop, um, are continuously losing players. And I really think um, losing those two def- defensive players in Mandanda and Nkulu is really going to affect them. So um, that's a good signing for Lyon. And also um, Ronnie Rodelin, who's left Lyon and gone to Cannes. I saw glimmers of real promise in Rodland last season for Ken and I really think if he can uh, if he can be made to feel a bit wanted a bit like Falcao if he can get that kind of main man feeling he might just find some form um, there's a couple of rumours though that, that are on the uh, on the horizon that I find interesting obviously I already mentioned Dante to Nice but Jeremy Menez possibly to Bordeaux mm. that's a really interesting one mm. And and many fans will find out that hopefully that deal for Nicolas de Preville to Lille will go through soon. He would have been on my list if he was there, unsurprisingly, but that one's not gone through yet. And uh, uh, Camel Glick to Monaco is a very good deal for them as well. I just wanted to add, I, I know that he didn't exactly shine today, but I think Brian Dapo can be a real spark for Saint-Étienne. I think that playing that 4-3-3 and allowing him to have a bit of dynamism with uh, Bia Clamont or, uh, or Lemoyne next to him I think that the the ability he shows to to play on the counter to get the ball off opponents and and turn around the dribbling ability he has, uh, I, I think he can be a real conduit for Saint Etienne. I I'm surprised he didn't start. I think that he looked a little over eager when he came on in the match today, uh, but I think he can be a real difference maker for Saint Etienne to sort of bring that bring that midfield along and and allow them to maintain their defensive solidity, but without without sacrificing. Um, thing is in the attacking mode. Uh, so that's all for this week's show. Be sure to join us next week for analysis of next week's Europa League matches and to follow our, our panelists on Twitter. Nathan is at Nathan J. Staples. Uh, Adam is at FR Football, F-U-T-B-O-L, Adam. And Peter is at Peter, P- sorry, sorry, P-R underscore Boulder. Uh, thank you for all of us. I've been Eric Devin. Uh, and be sure to visit us online at www getfootballnewsfrance.com to stay up to date with all of our articles and to follow our match commentary uh, Twitter handle as well as at GFFN Match Zone. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening. <laughs>